Welcome to Coast to Coast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Trey Bettler. I am here with Xander Cobalt, and this is the first episode of Coast to Coast. We are on the C stream, internet stream, for all of our listeners out there. Hope you all are having a great and wonderful Tuesday. But let's get to know us for a second. So, Xander, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, sir. Hi, my name is uh, Xander Kobold. I am actually from San Diego, California, hence part of our name, Coast to Coast. Um, I am a here. I'm a freshman here at the University of Missouri, and I will go into some of the favorite teams I like. I am unfortunately a Padres fan, Chargers fan, Clippers fan, and I'm a Ducks fan. So um, I am having a little bit of a rough time. But uh, let me send it over to Trey now. Yeah, you're definitely having a tough time this season, but I can say I'm in the same boat too. So as I mentioned before, my name is Trey Bettler. I am from Charlotte, North Carolina, so we took coast to coast. I'm from the East Coast. Xander is from the West Coast. So we decided, you know what, that would be a perfect name for us. Uh, we both are freshmen here at the university, and for me, my favorite teams include the Cleveland Guardians, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cleveland Browns, and the Carolina Hurricanes in hockey. But... Enough from hearing about us. We're going to get into the things that you really want to know about, why you're really listening, and that is for sports. So we're going to start it off with the Packers and Niners as we start talking about the divisional round playoff games from this past weekend. And oh boy, what a weekend it was, Trey. Starting with the Packers and 49ers game, would you like to introduce us on what may of people may have missed this weekend? That I definitely will. So if you missed out on the 49ers and Packers game, this was the divisional playoff game. Winner would head to the NFC Championship, and it was the number one seeded 49ers versus the number three seed Green Bay Packers, or fourth seed, yeah. Um, so Niners beat the Packers 24-21. A wild game, back and forth, low scoring for the first half. Second half got a little bit higher, and it all came down to Jordan Love throwing a game-deciding interception on the last drive. Xander, what are your thoughts for the Niners? How'd that game go, in your opinion, for them? Well, honestly, I think going into that game, many people were very skeptical about how Brock Purdy was going to play as Brock Purdy in their, I, I believe, four or five games that they lost this season all came down to basically his play style and I think with that play style, he was able to put up when he plays. Let me put it simply: when he plays good, he doesn't miss, and he has a terrific team around him, and he is basically the heart and center of how their offense works. And when they don't, things get a little messy. And it looked like at one point this game was going to get a little messy, but towards the end, they were able to pull it out. You're definitely right about that. I mean, the the thing with Brock Purdy is when he's on, he's on, and when he's off, he's off. Typically, he's off under big pressure games. This was one of those big pressure games, and there was a weather factor as well. He just was missing a few throws that you kind of wish that he could have. He kind of wishes he could have gotten back, and it did not look like him. Uh, Purdy finished the day of 23 of 39, 252 passing yards, and only one touchdown. But you go on the flip side, we'll go talk about Jordan Love. He was 21 of 34, 194 yards passing, two touchdowns, and two picks. Those turnovers are costly, especially in playoff games. Yeah, you, you can't get these turnovers. I mean, it's it's 
it's something that you have to get around earlier in the season. You can't you can't just be turning the ball over in the playoffs. I mean, it's it's you're, you're just not going to be having yourself a good game. Um, and it, these are big time moments too. And I mean, I get that last interception during their last minute of the game. It's 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 crunch time. They need to drive down the field, and unfortunately, he was Jordan Love was brought under pressure. Just tried to get rid of the ball, and just ended up in the 49ers' hands, and pretty much sealed the game. Yeah, exactly. And so we're actually gonna play a little clip here from Jordan Love post game. We're gonna see what he had to say. This is what he said on what he thought the difference was in the team. You know, I think it was. Early on, you know, we, we obviously didn't do a good enough job in the red zone, didn't come up away with enough points down there. Um, you know, we started getting going a little bit later in the second half, things like that. But, uh, you know, it was a little too little too late. Um, you know, obviously the turnovers, that's a huge part of the game, losing the turnover battle. Um, so there's a lot of little things you can look at, point, point, point at. But uh, I think, you know, not scoring enough points in the red zone, it's, it's going to be tough to, you know, um, win a game going against a good offense when you're not putting up enough points like that. And so that was Jordan Love after the game trying to talk about how he thought the difference was. And it really does come down to that in exactly as he put it. You don't score in the red zone, you're not going to win games. That's for sure. Um, yeah, uh, red zone play is, I mean, actually wasn't, had it been a huge problem with the Packers. They had, they had a great red zone game against the Dallas Cowboys. They actually... Had they probably played well? I mean, obviously they played way better against the Cowboys, but they, it seemed like their red zone offense against the Cowboys was pretty much every time they made it past the twenty yard line, they got either a touchdown or put up points for a field goal. And it's always tough to put up those kind of points, especially against the Forty ers when you have Chase Young and Nick Bosa pressuring you under defense. Yeah, that line was definitely under a lot of pressure all day. Another thing I want to mention in that post-game press conference with Jordan Love, he would go on to say that he committed a mortal sin of quarterbacks by throwing the ball across the middle and late, which would end up being that game-deciding interception. You know, you want to know, you want to know if that weather affected him. It was raining pretty hard in San Francisco during the game, but it kind of let up in that second half. Um, if you really go back and look at it, and Jordan Love doesn't mention it yet, but I do think he could have probably ran for the first down. Yeah, I mean, but then uh, they there's I, I, a lot of stuff up in the air. You, you I mean, never know. He, he, who knows? It was a game time decision, and he may not have made the right one, but it was the one that he went with. So, yeah. The other thing you want to look at, at for this game, especially, is uh, Anders Carlson, the, the young kicker of the Packers. That was rough. He missed a 41-yarder. There was 6:21 left in the fourth quarter. The Packers were up 21 to 17. He makes the field goal. The drive down the field for the 49ers would have actually ended up tying the game instead of winning them the football game. So you got to go back and you got to think about what goes on in that aspect of like having the faith in that kicker. What happened for that kicker to miss it? I mean, was the pressure too much for his young self? I mean, it's young in his career. Yeah, I mean, listen here. I, you know. Anything could go into a kicker missing. You know, I honestly would like if I am I if I was a Packers fan here, I'd probably be saying, uh, it, it, it's a tough, it, it's tough. You're playing in San Francisco. It's a 41 yard field goal. I mean, any other kicker, uh, probably uh, is that's not a lot to uh, that's not that's not too far. But 
you know, I just think that the weather probably is like the biggest like, you know, point. Like if you were to point a finger at what happened, I think the weather probably was a huge difference in that game and it showed and I maybe cuz maybe the weather had a uh, you know, had something to say about that ball instead of going right through the uprights, you know, saying, oh, we're just going to go wide right instead. Yeah, so Exactly. We're actually going to – I'll now bring up a comment from Matt LaFleur after the game as he was talking on uh, Anders Carlson. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if we had the answer, we would have fixed it, right? So um, – Certainly, just got to work on the consistency. We've seen him do it. We know he's what he's capable, but you got to be consistent in order to to last in this league. And that's the truth, honestly. With every every NFL kicker, you got to be consistent. Otherwise, you're probably getting cut. Yeah, it's it's rough. And Anders Carlson has actually had a really good season this year. I think he was actually overlooked by most kickers. I mean, when you think of the best kickers in the NFL, you think of your your Justin Tucker. You know. Uh, you know, even I mean, even Chris McLaughlin wasn't even doing that bad this season. But um, I I think that it was definitely a really it, it was tough. And you know, the good thing the the thing with kickers is they could be perfect, but you just never know when they're gonna miss because you can be perfect for for a long time, but you just know that one kick is gonna come. And unfortunately, it came at the wrong time. Yeah, Anders Carlson was twenty seven of thirty three on the year and two of three in the postseason. The one he missed was one that basically decided the entire Packers season. It was yeah, it was. It's a rough one, and I'm I, I mean. And it was such it was such an interesting story here for the Packers. They they at one point during the season they didn't even really look like they were definitely playoff contending teams. I mean, Jordan Love wasn't even playing up to his standards until probably midway through the season. Um, so, well, another thing we'll look at real quick is the 49ers side. We've been talking a lot of the Packers side. Let's look at the 49ers side. They had a heck of a game, especially McCaffrey for McCaffrey sure. McCaffrey really. He was the deciding factor, in my opinion. He was the—I mean—he scored the game-winning touchdown for them, led them down the field. And me being from Carolina, I've seen a lot of Christian McCaffrey over the last few <laughs> years, and I can tell you, man, you put the ball in CMC's hands in game-time decisions, and that man is going to come through for you. So, what we'll pull up right now is a quote from McCaffrey after the game, trying to see what they can take away from this game against the Packers. The ability to persevere when you're not playing well, for one. Um, you know, I think that game just felt off, you know, pretty much the whole game until the end there. And so to be able to uh, persevere through the adversity and um, to have mature guys on the team who can, you know, strap up and go out there and find a way to get a win at the end, it's a sign of a good team even when you're playing bad. And so that's exactly as it is. 49ers looked off the entire game. They weren't playing their style of football, but they somehow found a way to come through, and they put the ball in the Christian McCaffrey's hands. 17 carries, 98 yards, two touchdowns on the night for McCaffrey. Yeah, uh, McCaffrey has, you know, probably been, you know, one of the best running backs in the league this year, especially in the NFC. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, he basically won them this game. Um Two, those two touchdowns, and especially the touchdown to essentially win the game after that missed field goal, 
Um, he's an absolute monster, and I could for sure see him popping off against the Lions as well. That I can as well. So, as we just said, 49ers beat the Packers 24-21. They will go on, since they are the number one seed, they advance to the NFC Championship, and they will play the Detroit Lions, which we will get into a little bit later in today's episode. Next game we'll look at is the Houston Texans at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens laid a smackdown on the Texans, winning 34-10. Lamar Jackson was the star of the game. He is the frontrunner for the MVP at the moment. He was 16 of 22 passing, 152 yards, and two touchdowns. The other side of the story is Houston Texans with their offensive rookie of the year, C.J. Stroud at quarterback, playing in his first ever divisional playoff game, coming off a huge beatdown of the Cleveland Browns, which was unfortunate to me. But the <laughs> AFC wild card, Stroud had a heck of a game, and he was looking to continue it with him and first head first year head coach D'Amico Ryans of the Houston Texans. Yeah, I mean, it was I mean, and again, the, here's the thing about the Texans is after that absolute beat down for the Browns and again, uh sorry about that, Trey. Hey, no, I get it. <laughs> um, you know, CJ in this game seemed like he, I felt like at the beginning he seemed a little bit in control of the game at first. I I think that once Lamar finally got into his rhythm, once Lamar gets into his rhythm, their 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 team is so hard to stop. I mean, uh, and you know, with his with his with Lamar's running game, there's just literally, in my opinion, just no stopping him. And the only thing I could really say about the Texans in this game is they never really ran a spy against Lamar Jackson. I mean, like as your defense, you know he's probably going to run here and there. But that's what's so good about Lamar is you never know when he's going to. He could. He's a great thrower. He can he could easily throw the ball to let's say, you know, number 4 Zane Flowers. You know, he has potential targets to go to. But when those targets aren't there, he will take off and he will take off and go a long way if you cannot stop him. Yeah, and you know, I have a lot of experience of course with the Baltimore Ravens being a Browns fan. We see them <laughs> twice a year every season. Ravens are a heck of a team and you got to give them props where where their credit is due. Lamar plays a heck of a game. But I, what, I, what I really love about that Ravens team is that defense. They're very physical. They like to talk a lot of crap and get in the heads of their opponents. And that actually really helps them in most of their games. Well, we're going to head off and do Lamar Jackson's press conference. And so let's hear some quotes from Lamar after the game. Nah, because we, we got we to gotta finish, you know. Still playoffs, we're not in the dance yet, but I'm looking forward to next week, to be honest with you. I'm not even thinking about uh, the Super Bowl until we handle business. And so that was Lamar, basically, he was asked the question of, are you celebrating that you finally won another game? That you can get past <laughs> the divisional round and you actually have a shot at the AFC Championship now. And so Lamar was basically telling everybody, hey, look, it's a great thing we won, but we got to focus I mean, the, the, his quote was, we've got to finish. We can't dance yet. And that's exactly right. Ravens cannot let up. They got another big game coming up this upcoming weekend against the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, um, and I think Lamar probably said the right thing here. Listen, this was only the divisional round. I mean, you still got one more week to get to, where, uh, to, get to the promised land, um, which would be the Super Bowl. Um, but before you get there... You you gotta make it past the championship. Um, clearly, um, if you if you start celebrating now, 
And you can't be celebrating right now when you got the Chiefs ahead of you because they are one heck of a team right now. Yeah, we'll break down the Chiefs in a little bit coming up. What I also want to go, I also want to highlight another part of Lamar Jackson's press conference, and so I'm going to play that in just a second here. Lamar was asked by reporters if he had heard his doubters when they were mentioning all week that he only had one playoff career win. And this was what Lamar had to say to that if he hears the doubters. Have you heard that? Did it motivate you? You know I heard that. What's that? You know I heard that. I've seen it. I I don't even got to hear it. I see it, you know. But it is what it is. I really don't care about what people say. You know, I'm I'm trying to win um, day in, day out. Every time I'm on that field, I'm trying to play to the best of my ability. Those guys just had, you know, had our team number in the past. But it's a different team, like I've been saying. And we just got to stay locked in on what's ahead of us. Okay. I'm just going to say this right here. He says he doesn't care about that. I know dang well Lamar Jackson cares about what what reporters are saying about him. But, hey, he plays well enough to where he can say that he doesn't care and he doesn't hear him. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) those were some pretty interesting words there from Lamar. But I think that – yeah, that that's just his character. That's his charisma. I mean, he's he's always been like that ever since he stepped foot in this league, and um, he's really trying to like prove a point, like keeping out all the like, oh, you know. I, I think he cares. He really does care what people are thinking about him. But you know, I think it's one of those like mentality things, like ah, you know, whatever. No, they, exactly. He has to say that. You know, when you come out to the media, you got to tell them like, I don't hear anything because they'll tear you apart if they tell you if you say that you do. Or another player will start calling you out, and then they'll get in your head. It's a, it's just tactics. Yeah, and I mean we've we've seen that in the past too with some other players when they get the emotions of the be- uh, the emotions get the best of them. Um, sometimes they'll be like, you know, the a reporter will ask him sort of the same question, and some of the players will even just be like, yeah, you know, I, I'm listening to what they're saying, and 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 you know they kind of take it to offense, really. Um, but uh, exactly, uh, and you know, I'll tell you this one thing: I didn't com- I didn't add it for the. Uh, for the stats or for the uh, post-game press conferences, but uh, Lamar actually ended up, they asked him during his press conference uh, what was said at halftime because, you know, it was it was 10-10 at the half. Texans were playing great defense, holding the Ravens' offense only to 10, and Lamar would go up to the microphone and he'd say, it'd be in- in- inappropriate if I set it up here. He was cursing them out and really just trying to get his boys going. But yeah, but at that time it was it was a very close game. It I, it was a uh, what what was it like a was it ten ten at half? Yeah, it okay, was ten ten at half, and then the Ravens would come out and not <laughs> <laughs> pretty much they never look back again. Yeah, yeah, they uh, the Ravens kind of just ran away with the game. So you know, I you know, although those techniques seem a little bit you know a little quirky there. You know, hey, listen, it rallied the team, it got them together, and they never looked back. Yeah, exactly. We're going to actually talk about that defense for a second. I'm going to talk about that Ravens defense. The Texans had the 12th best offense in the league this year. C.J. Stroud was a heck of a quarterback, and he deserves that Offensive Rookie of the Year by far. And I have a vengeance against Ohio State at the moment for some reason. <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm telling you, C.J. Stroud had a heck of a season, great year. Um, but you gotta you gotta give credit where credit's due. That defense held them to ten points. Yeah, you're right. Um, they definitely 
it, it was it, it was almost looking like the Ravens defense back in the day. Um, yeah, that, what, that Ray Lewis. The Ray Lewis league. era. I mean, you know, replaced Ray Lewis with someone like Patrick Queen. I mean, it was it, it, they made the Texans just look silly out there for the second half of play, and it just shows how dominant this t- this defense really is, and they came out and they played. Exactly. And speaking of Patrick Queen, we'll go to his press conference real quick, and this is – this is Patrick Queen on talking about how he describes the Ravens' defense after only only allowing ten points the entire game. Just resilient, um, you know. They were dropping the ball quite quite a few times, and you know we just stayed in there, held our ground. Uh, Bimba don't break. Uh, you know everybody locked in when we absolutely needed to, and we got the job finished. And that's the best way to put it. You bend, but you don't break. <laughs> that Ravens' defense definitely bend but didn't break. They bent in that first half, allowed those 10 points, and then they really locked in. We're going to keep it going with Patrick Queen's post-game press conference. And here he is talking about the physicality of the Ravens' defense. You know, that's how we're supposed to come out. That's how you're supposed to play the game. Um, so we, we don't shy away from that kind of stuff. I know, um, you know there was a lot of jawing back and forth. Uh, some people probably thought we shouldn't have been playing like that in the game. And, um, you know, that's just what we do. So we like that kind of stuff. What I'm interested to see the most, honestly, is the physicality and how the Ravens' defense likes to talk and get into the heads of their opponents, how they line up with that Chiefs' offense. Oh, man. that Let me tell you, this Chiefs-Ravens game coming up is probably going to be a must-watch game. Uh, probably, honestly, in my opinion, it could possibly be better than the Lions and the 49ers game, but we're, we're going to have to see. But... I, I think that definitely their uh their trash talking will for sure be a uh, big play in that game versus the Chiefs and I mean we're gonna have to see because Mahomes has definitely let his emotions out this season so a little bit more than you than he has before it's something it's it, kind of like you don't expect it you know Pat Mahomes is a kind of like a closed off guy where he doesn't really ever let his emotions get the best of him and. Some reason this season, I guess it might be Taylor Swift getting in their heads, letting them be a little bit more emotional <laughs> when they get on the field. But you never know. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that could be a, just a psychological thing. It could no, be, exactly. It, 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 you know, and here's the thing about Pat Mahomes is he already he already already has two rings. But I I think that this year has just been maybe just more emotional for him. And who knows, there could be stuff going on that we don't know about Pat Mahomes behind the scenes. But um, it's been um. It's definitely his emotions have came out this season, and it really started coming out. I think we all know during that first Bills Chiefs game midway through this year. Yeah, and one final thing I want us to mention uh, before we move on to our next game, as we close our coverage here of the Ravens and Texans, we talk about that. I want to go back to C.J. Stroud for a second because I'm going to pull up a part of his post game press conference here, and they asked C.J. what he thought of the season if he would consider it a successful year um i mean it's hard to answer that right now i feel i mean i know where i come from in college like if you don't win at all like then it's kind of a fail so that's kind of like the mindset i have um i think we have the capability we have the team to do it i know um yeah it's a, it, we come up short you know so like you can't look back and like dang like we didn't do nothing special you gotta of course like really look back and smile throughout everything. But at the same time, like, it's like, dang, man, what, what if? And that, that's the worst feeling, you know, just having regrets. What if? What if I did this? What if I did that? You know, so 
um, just learning experiences. And so it really is those what ifs, but I think the the best part of that entire interview right there was C.J. Stroud saying, you know, from where I come from in college, if you don't win, it's a fail. And so, I mean, I, I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, you fail. It's not a failure. C.J. Stroud had a heck of a season. He... He's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. He took his team, who had no business, and I mean no business, <laughs> yeah. being in the NFL playoffs. Texans weren't at the beginning of this season. I'll tell you, if you go to a Texans fan and ask him, at the beginning of the season, did you expect that you would make the playoffs? And they would tell you, no, no chance. They drafted a, a quarterback at number two, which the Panthers should have taken C.J. Stroud, and we can talk about that later. But right. The Texans were not expecting to win. They traded up. They got a lot of great players. Will Anderson Jr. is a heck of a player. He's coming into his own. That Texan team is going to be vicious for a very long time, and they have an extremely bright future. Yeah, and, you know, I actually kind of like that response from C.J. Stroud. I mean, listen, and I believe there was a quote towards, I think, that ESPN reported after the game where he went up to, I, I don't know, I don't remember exactly which player he went up to, but he saw one of his, you know, it, it's a rough loss, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, we made it this far, and you follow the, you know, follow, you lose. And a lot of the emotions were being shown on the field, and he went over to one of his teammates, and he said, hey, listen, we're going to be back. We got, we got, we got a good team here. Uh, there's, there shouldn't be anything we should be worried about right now. I think that, and, and you know, that's kind of, I like that mentality from CJ, and, you know, that for sure can, you know, hype up a, you know, hype up a team for next year, especially during this offseason. Exactly. And so that'll do it for the Texans and Ravens. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come on back, we're going to discuss the Sunday games for the NFL divisional round of the playoffs. Point one. Like any 
What's up? Holla at ya, boy. XOXOXO. You getting these texts? Question mark. Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. That'snotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. <laughs> if you think superheroes like me can fight all your battles for you, think again. Voting for your local, state, and federal representative lets you choose who's on your side in all the issues we face today. From the little ones to the really big ones, too. But before you can vote, you need to register. So do it now. For registration forms or information on how to register, visit your local participating video store. Have a voice in your future. Register. And vote. <laughs> and Tom Spider-Man sent you. Welcome back to Coast to Coast, ladies and gentlemen. I am Trey Bettler here with Xander Kobold. So we just broke down the Saturday games of the divisional round. We talked Packers and at the Niners. We talked Texans at the Ravens. 
Now we're going to get into the Sunday games. We're going to talk about, you heard a little Eminem there, we're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Detroit Lions. Yep, uh, so we're going to go right into the Bucks lions game. And, man, I mean, just for the Bucks to even get there in the first place, I mean, i, I got to be honest, they're, they're, they were another one that shocked me. I mean, the Eagles in the last wild card game, ha- I mean, we're going into that game with, like, on a big losing streak, so... I mean, I could see that feeling, the the feeling that they had, especially with with, with the uh, division win there, playing at home and everything. They they were looking pretty good against a, I mean, still pretty solid Eagles team. So, going up against the Lions at Ford Field was not going to be an easy task for Dan Campbell and the Lions. Yeah, it really wasn't going to be easy for either team. A lot of pressure on the Lions, a lot of pressure on the Bucks, and a lot of pressure on Baker Mayfield. You know, I've seen a lot of Baker Mayfield. He used to be the Browns quarterback for a while. Then he was the Carolina Panthers quarterback before he went to the Rams, and then he went to the Bucks. Mayfield was 26 of 41 passes, 349 passing yards, three touchdowns and two picks. Had a heck of a day, but that second interception there came at the wrong time for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I, I just... It, it, it You know, I, I in this game, I was, I'll be honest, I was kind of ruined for... I was rooting for the Lions. I mean, you you saw in that who for, who, can, who I mean, doesn't? I, I mean, mean, you have to. I mean, America is rooting for them at this point. The, you, you you remember that picture? I remember I've been seeing on Twitter about that one fan right after they won that wild card game who was literally sobbing. Oh yeah. And it just like that touched your heart for sure because you don't understand the pain Lions fans have had to go, go through. They've had oh, a perfect. Oh buddy, yeah. I understand yeah. what pain yeah. Lions. <laughs> <laughs> coming I'm t- I'm coming from a Browns you, fan, yeah, coming from a Browns fan I'm over here. It's, fan. Uh, you know, they've you've both have experienced perfect seasons. It's it's been it's been a let's been it's been a rough go around. So yeah, it really has. But I'll tell you the the final drive from Mayfield. It, it just goes to prove the point that all Browns fans have been saying for years. The one of the biggest reasons we let go of Baker Mayfield is he could not win the game if you gave him the ball in a two-minute drill. And that's exactly what happened. The Bucks were set up to go down the field, go score a touchdown, and they could win the game. However, nope, Baker Mayfield does not do it again. He loses them the game, and that was his biggest flaw. I mean, there were I can't count the amount of times I was so frustrated after the 1 o'clock games or the 4 o'clock games because Baker May couldn't go down the field and score. <laughs> and I mean, I come, also this is coming from a Chargers fan here. I mean, Justin Herbert had those same moments, especially this season when it came to on the last drive on the game during their one possession games. Could Justin Herbert get down the field and win them the game? And it seems like Justin Herbert I've and Baker. See it. And, and <laughs> I, I just think Baker Mayfield and uh, Justin Herbert here are kind of shared the same kind of set of skills when it comes to last-minute possessions. You're definitely right about that. I'll tell you this. Uh, the press was very reluctant with Baker. They didn't really press him much about the interception. They kind of just asked him more about his contract. And so uh, here is Baker Mayfield on responding to what it would mean to come back and be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer next year. This group, I said that all year, and it's that's authentic. I mean that. And so... Um, it would mean a lot for me to, to, to bring back a lot of key pieces to, to get this back together. And, um, 
to get it in year two in the system that you can make huge strides. And so I would love that. Obviously, who knows how it's going to play out, but um, can't say enough about this organization for the opportunity they gave me this year. And so just thankful. And so uh, hoping, hoping it works out. And so that was Baker Mayfield after the game, a really more optimistic Baker than typical. You know, typically he'd be saying, like, oh, that was my fault, or he'd go through his reads and kind of tell us what's going on. But, you know, there's nothing you can really say after the loss in the divisional round. So an optimistic <laughs> Baker Mayfield after a crushing loss for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, it almost seemed like that That was the same response kind of – it felt like a more of a different kind of response than kind of what CJ gave. Um, and, you know, I think with Baker Mayfield, I mean – this guy was literally on the Panthers, so I, I, I feel for him. I mean, he finally got that playoff experience again. Um, and, and, again, after that Eagles game, I, I really did think that uh, Baker Mayfield might finally get to where, you know, he wanted to be all these years. But, unfortunately, well, well, actually, if you're a Lions fan, then fortunately he did not, and it all started with Jared Goff and the Lions offense. Yeah, exactly. And one last thing on Baker Mayfield. Unfortunately for Baker, yet again, he cannot get past the divisional round of the playoffs. <laughs> he got there with the Browns. He got there with the Bucks. Couldn't get past it either time. But we're mentioning Jared Goff, what you just did, we're going to switch over towards the Lions side of the things. It's a huge day for Lions fans. They are riding high. And this has been a heck of a team. It's a heck of a story for the Lions and Dan Campbell. Uh, Campbell's one of my favorite head coaches in the entire NFL. And I'm just I'm happy for him. I know America's rooting for the Lions. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens this upcoming weekend. But speaking of Dan Campbell and that passing game with Jared Goff, we're going to go to his press conference where he was asked on just how – it really feels like the offense always seems like it just needs one big play to get going. And so we're going to look at the passing game getting going uh, from Dan Campbell's perspective. Yeah, I, I think we, we know it's, you know, we know if, if we're not quite there, it's coming. It'll come, you know, and uh, that dam will burst. We just got to, we got to continue to harp on the little things, clean up, you know, a few things here and there. And, uh, but it'll come. We always feel that way. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of trust in that regard. I think Ben did a hell of a job calling the game, you know, and uh, those guys held on. And, you know, golf made, I mean, fourth quarter, he really showed up there, you know, and uh, made some big throws. And we knew we needed to throw the ball to move it today. That was, you know, we went out there to Tampa and, you know, I've said this before, it was like swinging a sledgehammer against a steel door. I mean, we were just over and over and over and so we knew we needed to loosen them up before we started to run it and uh and we did that and so i think <laughs> the best quote is passing a football in tampa base it feels like swing swinging a sledgehammer against a steel door that, that, that is dan campbell for you folks right there um but i'll tell you no it, it it's exactly as he said it the lions they're going to need that passing game to get going, especially when it comes to playing against the 49ers this upcoming weekend. They've got a good running game with Jameer Gibbs, which he disappeared the entire season, and Dan Campbell finally decided to start handing the ball to Jameer Gibbs, and their running game has just took off from <laughs> nothing to something out of nowhere. And so for me, a Jameer Gibbs fan, and I know a bunch of people are, that is a blessing right there. 
Right, and you know, early on in the season, and you know, even even uh, the uh, Chiefs game, uh, the very first uh, week week of the season, um, when the Chiefs were playing the Lions, and actually we were in attendance for that game, um, I noticed that they seemed to. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, he's he's a rookie. I mean, sometimes rookies don't always start off to a hot start. And then they went to their other running back, Jordan Montgomery. And I think Montgomery did a lot better towards uh, midway, once we got to about midway through the season. And then they finally started getting Gibbs more ball time. And as soon as they gave more ball time, it was just they took off, like like you said, Trey. Yeah, exactly. That passing game between Jared Goff and Amonra St. Brown, which he has had one heck of a season, if I will say. Amonra St. Brown, he was a good, decent like role player last year, kind of being that slot receiver. It's like right. he's not the first option because they had Marvin Jones for a while. But now it is, I can firmly say that that wide receiver room is his. And Amonra St. Brown is the guy in the wide receiver room for the Detroit Lions. And not only do they have are they are they just using um Amara St. Brown, but I think they're honestly someone who came out of nowhere in my opinion. I mean, when you think of players on the Lions, you think of Aiden Hutchinson, Amara St. Brown, Jared Goff. But one guy that came out this season really helped him out, and that was the tight end, Sam Laporta. <laughs> oh, oh my yeah. gosh, man. Laporta I don't know what he's doing, but, but he's team, doing something right. He is. And the thing with the Lions is that, and I think this is what shocks a lot of people, is that their team is so young. They barely have any playoff experience. I know Jared Goff, I think Jared Goff is the guy who has the most playoff experience because he did go to a Super Bowl. Yes, he he did make one Super Bowl. And unfortunately, that, again, as we know, that was maybe not one of the most exciting Super Bowls of all time. But... I was in attendance, so I can tell you it wasn't. <laughs> if you love defense, you love the game. <laughs> exactly. And it was not an offensive game not, whatsoever. Not an offensive game. But I think with this young team, especially, uh, you know, other than Jared Goff, basically I mean they they have a good shot here now this Saturday is very important for them they are gonna have a first road test playoff game it's 49ers fans are gonna show up they're gonna be loud uh I haven't looked at the weather yet but with San Francisco weather is always very testy so uh, we're just gonna have to see how they go and if they it's gonna it might be a struggle for them but you know as America is rooting for them Except for people in California, <laughs> they're <laughs> exactly. they're they're you know, they they want they want to go. They have one one uh, place to go, and that is the promised land of yeah. the Super Bowl. Exactly. Uh, we'll we'll go to Dan Campbell's press conference one last time, and this is where he will talk on the young Lions team and how they expect to face off against a 49ers team that has a lot of playoff experience in the past few years. Yeah, I think every time you're in it, especially now that you're in this one season right now, and, you know, last week there was, you know, you get, there's a little bit of nerves and, and uh, the environment, the setting, the, you know, there's a little bit of pressure, but I felt like we've handled pressure really well all year. And so you get through that when you get this one, and we've been able to just stay focused on the one in front of us, you know. Um, and so it's not as big of a deal, I think, as people may, you know, place on it. We've got enough veterans here that know what it looks like, coaches, and our young guys have adapted. And really, we've kept a one-game mindset. Like, here we go. This is the one right in front of us. And just like we did all year, you win 12 games, you had to prepare a certain way. You had to do things a certain way in the game. You take care of the football, you get takeaways. And and we do that again. You keep it that simple. You know, if you start really uh, honing in on everything that, you know, you've accomplished or what you've done or the magnitude of the game, well, that's where issues begin to 
arise. So we're, we're, we've been good. And so, once again, that is Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions, and it's, he's exactly right. You stick to the basics, you keep it simple, and you can win the game. you got to go 1-0 and in the mine, and that's, that's, that's what Kevin Stefanski would tell the Browns all season. you got to go 1-0. and Every week it's going 1-0, and and that's exactly what the Detroit Lions have to do. They're going to they're gonna face some tests here. It's going to be tough. Those Niners fans are crazy. They're loud. It's a tough environment, but I fully trust Jared Goff and this Detroit Lions team to do it. And... That's exactly right. And let me tell you, Trey, I love this one, this 1-0 one kind of uh, mindset because not only was that just a huge thing for the Browns, for the uh, the Browns or the Lions, but it was also a huge thing for here at Mizzou <laughs> when it came to their 11-2 season winning the, uh, uh, with a Cotton Bowl win there at the end. And Drinkowitz there also kind of adapted, uh, used, used the same kind of mindset of the 1-0. So as of right now, I like that mindset. I do too. But now we're going to move into oh, the, the biggest game of the weekend, Ooh. the one that everybody here in Missouri was talking Ooh. about for multiple days. People are still talking about it today, Damn. and we're going to bring it up today. It was the Chiefs and Bills game. Patrick Mahomes' very first ever road playoff game as a starter. Uh, key fact here, it was the most watched divisional playoff game ever with over 50 million viewers, it wow. peaked at 56.250 viewers. And the Chiefs also broke a record during the game. Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes passed Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski in total playoff career touchdowns together. They have 16. The Chiefs would go on to beat the Bills after a late missed field goal from Tyler Bass, oh. Chiefs would win 27-24 on the road. They will head to Baltimore this weekend to play the number one seeded Ravens. Pat Mahomes was 17 of 23 for 215 yards and two touchdowns, while Josh Allen was dueling with them. Two, 26 of 39, 186 yards passing, and one touchdown. Santa, give me your thoughts on this Bills and Chiefs game real quick. Wow. Well... There's a lot to say about this game, and I think this every time the Bills and Chiefs play each other, it is literally almost like the same exact game watching over and over again. I think in the past three to four years, this divisional round is basically just the Chiefs and the Bills. The Chiefs and the Bills. I, it's almost like it's almost like the Warriors and the Gold, and the Cavaliers yep. like Warriors, playing each Cavs other. Series. And it, it's just so unfortunate for the Bills, man. I. I can't get I can't get over the fact and let me tell you that that 90s that that Super Bowl 25 when the Bills kicker missed wide right just completely just cursed their team or something cuz it, it it showed up in this game and unfortunately Tyler Bass kind of put it away but that doesn't also you know completely excuse all the questionable plays Sean McDermott was coming up with Yeah see like, I was going to mention game. that real quick um <laughs> I think Oof. the craziest thing about this entire game is, you know, everyone's harping on the missed field goal of everything. I actually don't think that was the play that decided the game. I think the I think the play that decided the game was the absolute worst play call of the entire season when Buffalo had the ball on their own 30-yard line. With 12.57 to go, it was 4th and 5, and they did a fake punt, giving it to DeMar Hamlin to run for 5 yards on their own 30 down 3. 
Now, if that isn't stupid, I don't know what is. And here's the best part about that entire thing. The best part about that entire play, the Chiefs stopped them and they only had 10 players on the field. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost looks like... like I just don't understand the, the 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 play here. I mean, I get that that that's this sounds like something out of the Dan Campbell book here. I mean, it, it for, sounds I mean, like it's coming out of like a, a Brandon Staley thing out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know, and I I I get it. Like it's it's fourth and five. You're like there's about I think it was about four thirty left in the game. It was it was it was twelve. They had twelve minutes. If they could go for it. If, I mean, if you're going to go for it, use an actual play. You got Stefan Diggs as a receiver. I mean, throw Cook, the ball. Cook was playing out of his mind. Josh Allen was running all over the Kansas City defense. I don't understand why you fake punt. Or or simply just go just go for it on fourth and five with your normal offense out on the field. There's no there's no reason you should be punting the ball all the way at your thirty. By the way, and it it just it's. It's it's something I definitely I think surprised everyone, but like it just like it was one of those like surprise like what the heck are you guys doing out here? Oh, exactly. A- and it unfortunately, I mean, and the good news for the Bills is uh, like they had a second chance. I mean, because with that fumble intercept, I mean that fumble in the end zone for a touchback, and I mean, but still, I mean, you got you, you just yeah the worst rule in all of football i i do think that that was a little, a little i will tell you this it was poetic justice in a browns fan opinion last time the browns were in the divisional round they played the chiefs rashad hollywood higgins went to the end zone dove for the pylon got hit in the head by uh, a chiefs player with his helmet and fumbled the ball through the end zone and we thought there was no way that was they were going to call that because it could have been it should have been targeting, but nope. They said that's a touchback. It went through the end zone. No targeting. And so for me, that was a little poetic justice in my opinion. You know, unfortunately for the Bills fans, they actually couldn't convert. And it was right after that where they did actually do the fake punt. They touchback fake punt. Like it was nothing. But we're going to actually pull up Andy Reid's press conference here and this is him talking about that said uh, fumble through the end zone for the touchback yeah well listen listen he's had so many big big plays for us over time um, and on that play you know uh, but you, you can't reach out that, that's a you know he, he, he was trying so you give him the effort but we, we know that you can't do that down there because of that reason um, and so you got to protect that football, and uh, he'll get better for that. And he was referring to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, MVS, who was the one who fumbled. And he is exactly right. I mean, as much as all of us hate that rule in football, you got to be smart, and you got you can't reach out in those situations. Got to keep it tucked in and got to keep get down. And, you know, I think that <laughs> this might honestly be another Bills-Chiefs game that Roger Goodell could look at that and say, that's a change. we got to well, go back to the rule book and change that. And what's hilarious is I actually read an article today that says they are actually – there's a lot of motivation behind it that they are actually looking at changing that rule. 
And I was like, that is not surprising to me at all that the uh, Bills and Chiefs game is what it took. It didn't take the Browns getting <laughs> getting beat in the playoffs because of that rule. It took the Chiefs losing. And what's funny is we all knew that was what was gonna it was going to take. It was going to take either the Chiefs losing to that rule or getting hurt from the rule, uh, the Cowboys get <laughs> hurting from the rule. Like It's got to be one of those big teams that – the NFL really cares about and makes a lot of money from. But one thing I do want to mention and that we've talked about, is, I mean, the Bills have been struggling to get over this hump of losing in the, the divisional round. They've played the Chiefs multiple years in a row, and they continue to lose. And what I want us to take a listen to was Josh Allen after the game and what he had to say on his thoughts about trying to get over that hump of losing in the divisional round. Yeah, I don't... I don't think it's a big change. I think it's just again we gotta gotta find a way to score one more point than they do. And every season, if you don't win, it's it's a failed season. That's the nature of the business. Um, you know, there's one one happy team at the end of the season, really. And uh, when it's not you, and you're and you're so close, it just it sucks. So a very unhappy Josh <laughs> Allen <laughs> didn't really say a lot, but he. But he was really, you could tell he was he was pissed. But, no, Josh, I mean, he's right, though. The Bills are so close. It's just these little things that happen. They're minor things. A penalty, a bad play call, a, a miscommunication between players. Those are the type of things that will mess up an entire game for you. And that happened for the Bills, unfortunately, in this game. But, you know, the, the other big thing was... Uh, Tyler Bass, and he missed the game-deciding kick, could have tied the game, and they could have played overtime, which I think the entire football world wanted overtime in that game. Oh, for sure. I think I, I was hoping that this game was going to get overtime because it would be the I think it would be the very first time we would see the first over playoff overtime rule where both teams get a chance with the ball. Well, especially with those two teams that who. Basically, the rule started from that game. Yeah, the rule started from their game because Josh Allen wanted to get the football after they scored. But uh, we're gonna, I'm going to take you to Tyler Bass's when he met with the media, kind of like what he saw on that kick. Because I like to get into the heads of these kickers and kind of see what he saw on that kick, what caused him to miss so badly. So let's let's listen into Tyler Bass after the game. Completely on me. Um, Got to do a better job of you know getting through to my target. Um, I gotta do a better job of playing a little bit more left when you have a left to right. Uh, I've been here long enough to know that you, know, you have to do that. Um, you know, I was trusting my line, but I had in warm-ups. Um, and oh, okay. I had a good ball, but it didn't work out, and, and feel feel terrible. You know, um, I love this team, man, and uh, you know, it hurts. This one, this one hurts bad. So that was Tyler Bass after the game really just saying that the line he kicked in pregame that he saw was what he trusted, and he didn't really account for that wind in Buffalo, which is something you got to do, especially in a crazy stadium like that. We're going to take a quick break here as it is top of the hour here at 5 o'clock. We will take a quick break, and we'll get back as we prepare and preview the championship games for this upcoming weekend, and then we'll look into the rest of the wild world of sports. Shira and I want to talk to you about something that's very personal, your body. 
Remember, it's your body and no one should touch you in a way that you feel is wrong. I'll get anybody who tries it. It's not that easy, Orko. It's hard for a young person to admit that he or she has been touched in a bad way. If you've been touched that way, don't be ashamed. Tell someone you trust, like your parents, your doctor, your teacher, or counselor, or your minister or rabbi. Right, Orko? Right on! I get angry just thinking about it. It makes me mad. Little kids doing drugs, it turns my stomach. That stuff hurts. It stops you from living up to your potential. It holds you back. It hurts the user. It hurts his family. And it hurts his friends. I just want to shake some sense into you kids that are using drugs and thinking about using So remember, don't or else. Okay? This is Spankalicious, and you're listening to KCOU Columbia. 88.1 FM. Fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. Once again, I am Trey Bettler here with Xander Cobalt. And we are breaking down the NFL, our crazy round of playoffs of what's going on so far. And we're going to now talk about the upcoming championship games that are going to be happening this weekend. We'll first mention the Lions at the Niners. Niners are seven-point favorites. It is a 5.30 kickoff on Fox. Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson will be on the call this is the fourth trip to the NFC Championship since 2019 for the Niners and is the second all-time for Detroit. Zenit, last time the Lions made the NFC Championship was the year 1957. The NFL MVP was Jim Brown. Jackie Robinson retired that year. The president was Dwight D. Eisenhower. And bubble wrap and the Whopper were invented. Whoa. 
Well, <laughs> that is certainly not in my time. <laughs> not mine either. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, I you know I think it's been a long time it's coming. A, it's been a long time coming for these uh, these Lions fans, and I think they're hungry and they're uh, they're ready. Yeah, one thing to watch for this game is that Debo Samuel is considered fifty fifty, so that'll be big for that Niners offense if he cannot go, and the Lions might be out without their starting left guard, so that. That Lions line may be down one, having to face a stellar defensive line for the 49ers. Switching over to the AFC side, it'll be the Kansas City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. It'll be a 3 o'clock kickoff Eastern time. It'll be on CBS with Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the call. Of course. It is the very first AFC championship game played in Baltimore since 1970. So it's been a long time for Ravens fans. And Pat McAfee actually was quoted today on his show saying that he believes that the Ravens Stadium, which is M&T Bank Stadium, is an underrated environment and actually is going to be really, really tough for the Chiefs to come into. Uh, Speaking of that underrated environment, I want to ask you this, Xander. What, in your opinion, is the best environment slash stadium in the NFL? Oh man, I could go. There's many of them. I mean, you know, you know, you could. It, it also just depends on the team too. So, I, 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 I always go with this one because it's absolutely insane, and I think a lot of people would agree on me here. And maybe this isn't just like a like a unpopular opinion, but I think this might be a popular opinion too. I gotta go, Lambo. Lambo is Lambo has to be at least top five in best atmosphere uh, atmospheres. It's one of the oldest stadiums in the NFL. It can get very loud there. Not only that, but you know the Lambo leap and oh, you know exactly. many many. It's the, tradition. Traditions. It's historic. It's great. I've been to Lambo one time before. I I definitely can agree with you on that. But I will tell you my opinion: best environment slash stadium. Gotta be Arrowhead, man. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, you know, not only not only that, but when we were there to experience that firsthand, that place is rocking. rocking. Oh, it was rocking. Oh man, it wasn't even game time, and they were already reaching like 130 to 40 decibels, and I couldn't even hear. Exactly, but uh, the Chiefs will be missing their fans this weekend, and it, it'll be a lot easier for Ravens to actually uh, move the ball around the yard with the without the. Uh, Kansas City fans in the stands, and 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 not only that, but also uh, I got I got to get a shout out. They got the Ravens got their own marching band. They I do mean, have their own. Marching this is band. this is the NFL, and they have their own marching band. I mean, like, I think this is the first time I've ever seen this. It, hey, it's, Ravens do it different, and they do it pretty cool. And and I think I I think I agree with McAfee. I just think it's going to be a tough environment, anyways. But uh, we'll just have to see. Let me get your uh, picks for the game. Let me get your Lions and Niners pick first. Who do you think is going to win, and what do you what do you think of the score? Oh, man, okay. So from from a practical, you know, and and I mean, I'm I'm kind of helping Mickey out here as well, our station manager. But uh, I will have to say that the Niners are going to have a good chance at winning. They're at home. You got the crowd going with you. Um, but my heart would be the Lions. But uh, my uh, my practical score, I'm going to say, hmm, I'm going to go thirty to twenty one uh, Niners. All right, thirty twenty one Niners. 
I'm with you on that. I think uh, I think you and I share a, a pretty good idea of this game, the outlook on it. I like the idea of the the Niners winning this game. I want to say the Lions are going to win, but they are the Cinderella team, and you know, clock's going to strike midnight at some point. The only question is, will it strike before or after this game? I'll tell you. I think. Honestly, I will say the Niners are going to win. I think it'll be close. I think the passing game will get going. As Jordan, If Jordan Love was able to pass over the Niners, I think Jared Goff can do it. Oh, for sure. And, you know, again, we're just going to have to see how this one goes. Um, as far as the Chiefs and Ravens game goes, um, I on, mean— Hold on. I didn't oh, even get to give my score. Oh, Come on, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> hey, 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 I'm sorry. I'll hey, let you go. Good, let you go. Good. Good. Uh, no, I got the Niners winning a close one. I'm going to go— 28 to 21 this was touchdown apart but yeah let's get your chiefs and ravens pick xander Ooh, all right well i think this one will also be man we're getting good two games this weekend i mean it, it, these, games. these games could go either way um uh the chiefs have shown and proven themselves that they can play good on the road but just with the Ravens and everything that's not uh, going to it. And this isn't like, oh, me hating the Chiefs or anything. I'm I'm being straight here. I think the Ravens for sure have the upper hand in this game, and I think they will run away with it. Um, I'm going to go of a final score of 24-21 Ravens. I like that, actually. Uh, my biggest thing, and I it's no disrespect to the Chiefs, I just their defense did not look good to me against the Bills. They struggled to be able to contain Josh Allen. He would go off for specifically probably about 30, 20, 30-yard 30 runs every once in a while. And I worry with that defense facing Lamar Jackson, who is faster than Josh Allen and runs <laughs> a lot more than Josh Allen. I, I worry about Lamar running all over that defense, especially because they didn't play well. And then they've struggled at corner and in the secondary a lot this year. The Chiefs have struggled. And I wonder is Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham going to be too much for them? And so I actually do think that the Ravens will win this game. I think that the line is actually a little too low. They're only three-and-a-half-point favorites. I understand it's Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, but Ravens at home with a heck of an offense and a very physical defense. Give me the Ravens win 28-14. to I like that. I like that. Um, you know, I just, you know, it's one of those games, you know, I, I think, I like 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 you said, Trey, I think that the line is definitely a little too low. I would even move it up to a maybe five, maybe even close to a touchdown. Um, but, you know, I, I think even with playoff games, you know, Vegas always has to play it a little bit low because they're always, you know, you always got to go with these are going to be, these are, these are the championship games. These are always going to be so close. So. Exactly. We're going to touch on a few things for around the NFL real quick. We talked, we mentioned Sam Laporta in the tight end of the Lions. The Lions actually just signed a new tight end as well this week. They signed Zach Ertz mm. off of free agency. That'll be something to watch this weekend. Ertz was a heck of a player. I think he played on the Cardinals last. Correct. Yeah. He played on the Cardinals, but he is a former Eagle as well. That he is. So he's got he's got postseason experience. Zach Ertz is a good uh, tight end to get on there. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Ron Rivera is interviewing for the Eagles' defensive coordinator job. He was recently fired as the Washington <laughs> Commanders coach. It was about time. <laughs> it was. 
Uh, Jaguars hired their Falcon, the Falcon, the former Falcons defensive coordinator Ryan Nelson, and he will be the Jaguars' new defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm not worried about the Jags' D. I think they need to focus on their offense because something's going on with that. Oh, big time! Offensive was a huge struggle, and it even pretty much cost them. I mean, their entire season once they got to uh, Week 18 against the uh, Titans. Exactly. That was a oh. that was a falling apart game for the Jaguars, and they really had to look inside and see what's going on with that. Uh, and other news, Jim Harbaugh will meet with the Chargers for oh, a yeah. second time this week. Xander, give me your thoughts on Jim Harbaugh coaching your Chargers. Well, and I've actually even heard reports today that that deal is coming close. So it could be any time soon. It could be the next two hours. It could be the next... It could be a day from now that What he, I want to ask you is, do you see a world where if Harbaugh becomes your coach, the Chargers draft up and draft J.J. McCarthy? You know, as much as I, as I could see that happening, but we don't need another QB. You well, already you're got locked, Justin, you're locked in with Justin Herbert you for got a few Justin, years now. Yeah, you got Justin Herbert already, and it's not like he's been playing average or horrible or anything. I mean, this guy is still up there with all these other QBs. It's just so unfortunate that his team can't even really rally behind him. Exactly. And so I'm not. A, I wouldn't be too opposed to a JJ McCarthy. But I mean, yet again, you know, who knows if if that happens? If Jim Harbaugh becomes the next coach of the Chargers, you're, you you might as well be seeing a few Michigan guys here. I mean, with the, 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 I think the biggest thing here for the Chargers, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I I believe you guys need a better backup. You oh, don't need time. Easton Stick. Yeah, so. uh, I was not riding with Easton Stick. I I thought I was like, okay, well maybe we'll give him a chance here after the uh, Herbert injury, but. Uh, yeah, I so, think we'll I be mean, better off McCarthy without McCarthy can provide a good as a good backup, so that's something I'd definitely keep an eye out for. Uh, in other news, to finish up our little NFL coverage for the day, the Panthers did promote their assistant general manager uh, and former linebacker, Dan Morgan. He played for the Panthers for a while. Uh, he is now their new general manager of the team. Uh, Panthers are really going to look to do something this offseason, get some... Uh, new players, something. They need an O-line is what they really need. They need an O-line, and they need another receiver for Bryce Young to be able to throw the ball to. Uh, in other news, the Browns hired former Alabama offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. He's their new tight ends coach. And then the final thing that I want to talk about real quick is that the Titans are very, very close to signing their new head coach, which will be the Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. I you know, I honestly like this pickup and you know, Brian Callahan from the Bengals during this Joe Burrow era, I mean, pretty much led his like helped led his team to a Super Bowl here. I like this. I like this uh pickup and I mean with uh Matt Frayball, it just was not working out, uh, unfortunately, even though he was still a good coach. But I think that Brian Callahan has a lot of the smarts, and with his offensive coordinator job with the Bengals, could help turn around the Titans. Exactly. Well, we're going to go into the NBA real quick. It was a huge night in oh. the NBA. <laughs> yeah, three tell me play- about it. Three players with three great games. The biggest one to highlight, of course, is Joel Embiid dropping 70 points. <laughs> I can't. Oh. Our reactions right there are the same reaction that Kevin Durant gave during his post-game press conference. He he was in shock with the fact that Joel Embiid scored 70. 
Uh, last night was the 18th anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81-point game. And so Joel Embiid and then Carl Anthony Towns is the other one. They both put together two of the highest scoring performances in the NBA history. So Embiid's final stats on the night was 70 points, 18 rebounds, and five assists when he played against the Spurs. And then Carl Anthony Towns finished with 62 points and eight rebounds against the Hornets. Now, what I don't understand, and this is this is just me, and you can tell me this, but uh, Carl Anthony Towns scored 16, uh, 62 points, right? Right. And they benched him in the fourth. I and I, they lost. I um <laughs> I I was I was shocked and appalled by this. I mean, you actually got to be kidding me, like. This dude is out here, maybe about to set a record, and I mean, what are you doing? It was still such a close game, too. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, the Minnesota Timberwolves were all over the Hornets, and you know, oh, it's like a you know a fifteen point game going into the fourth quarter. No, dude, it wasn't that. I believe it was actually below a double digits going into the fourth quarter, and I mean, with with him out of the game, I mean. The Hornets were like, okay, thanks. Uh, we'll take this uh, nice little comeback win here. And they would go off to score 36 points to uh, win by three. Well, that's exactly what happened. The final score of the game we're mentioning right now was the Hornets at the Timberwolves. And the Hornets would go on to win 128-125 to 125 over the Timberwolves. That would be the Hornets' 10th win of the season. They have not won many games at all this year. They've... <laughs> They've struggled. I have my opinions about the Hornets where I think they're terrible. They're not making the right decisions. And, you know, so I, I'm upset about the Hornets and I want them to finally start doing something. And speaking of the Hornets, they made something in the right direction. Uh, they traded Terry Rozier this morning um, to the Miami Heat and they got Kyle Lowry in return. So that'll be something to watch. Rozier averaged 23.2 points per game for the Hornets this season, so he was their leading scorer. And, you know, the Hornets had to do something. They Out of the last 10 games they played, they have only won three times. So the Hornets definitely have something going on that they need to fix, and uh, this is a perfect first step for the Hornets to kind of get out of this hole that they dug themselves into. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been uh, I mean, it's just a horrible. It's been a horrible season for the uh Hornets and I mean, it's not as bad as the Pistons, Oh, but, I mean, oh. yeah, but Oh, still but it's that, bad. I mean, Trey, let's be honest. This is the Pistons there. I mean, they're they're on pace to probably break the record of uh the worst team in the NBA. Um exactly. all time, but uh they they have some issues going on and they don't. They they aren't even a terrible team to say. I mean, they got they got players, man. I mean, they still got Lamelo and they still got Biles Bridges. I, I just. Well, that, that's I, if uh, that's yeah, if his yeah. court cases are. Uh, are yeah, cleared. I mean, the uh, the legal standpoint of that is. But uh, for now, yeah, uh, they yes, got Miles correct. Bridges. Of course, they have Miles Bridges and and and, and uh, Brandon Miller, but uh, another one. I know. <laughs> we could, very but, uh, controversial players on this team, but you know what? We're just gonna move aside from that uh, as of right now. I mean, they they don't they aren't a terrible team, but it's just I think this is more of a managing thing. I agree, definitely. They're, the coach is the biggest issue 
for the Hornets, and they need to make a coaching change pronto. Uh, speaking of coaching changes, the Milwaukee Bucks actually fired their head coach, Adrian Griffin, this Oof. this afternoon, and their assistant, Joe Pruny, will step up. The, the crazy thing about the about firing the Bucks coach, uh, this is his first year. He's a first-year head coach. He's only coached for them 43 games, so it's still early in his tenure as a coach. And what I don't understand is they're at the top of the league right now. <laughs> I, I mean, they're literally sitting right behind they're in, the they're Celtics. In second place. They're in second place right now. And that's <laughs> they have the best winning percentage for a team. I mean... That fi- I mean, the Bucks now have the best winning percentage for a team that fired its head coach during a season. <laughs> and you, you know who, you know the last team that did that? What, which what, team was that? Was David Blatt and the Cavaliers oh. in 2015-2016. I do remember that. That's so, uh, very, very interesting times happening in Milwaukee right now. Extremely. But, I mean, I think this is where the biggest stat lies. If you look at everything, the defensive efficiency for the Bucks. Last season, they were fourth in the league. This season, they're 22nd. Last year, they were third in points per direct pick. This year, they're 24th. Last year, they were second in points per direct drive. This year, they're 20th. They have struggled on the defensive side of the ball terribly. Yeah, and and I mean... It's it, it's probably more of a defensive. It's definitely more of the defensive side. I mean, I, they they it's they know what's go, what's going to happen, and I and I know if they probably kept him in for basically the rest of the season. I mean, they'll probably they'll easily as of right now would definitely make the playoffs. But I think they're worried once they get to the playoffs that that defense is not going to be able to hold up against, say, a team like you know the Celtics. Uh, I just. I, I, I kind of understand where they're going with this. And, you know, I actually saw that they uh, because of this, we might be seeing another Doc Rivers signing coming I soon. I was go- just about to mention that. Yeah, Doc Rivers is supposedly the uh, head, the leading candidate for the Bucks job right now. But you know, one, thing I'll, one more thing I'll point out about the Bucks, and you might find this interesting as, as I do. Uh, I told you they've slipped defensively, that they've had a terrible year on defense. For the Bucks, uh, Xander, they just gave up uh, 135 and 113 points in back-to-back games against the Pistons. Ooh. So yeah, that's kind of saying something right there. So that shows you kind of how their defense is and how bad they have played on defense this season. Uh, going around the rest of the NBA real quick, uh, the biggest thing, one of the big, uh, one of the other big things coming out of the NBA today was that Tristan Thompson, the Cavaliers center, has been suspended for 25 games for violating the NBA's anti-drug policy. He ended up, we found out later in the day that he w- was taking performance-enhancing drugs, and that does not go in the <laughs> NBA. Uh, and not only just the NBA, but practically every single sport in the US and exactly. probably international too. <laughs> exactly. We will take a quick break for just a second and then we're going to transition into talking about college ball as we get you set for tonight's action as the Missouri Tigers men's basketball team takes on the Texas A&M Aggies. We'll be right back. Okay. Hey, this is KCOU 88.1 FM. Are you trying to release the hottest project of this year, possibly next? Come down to our studio in the Student Center. 
we can mix, master, record, edit, engineer your whole project, your whole artistic experience wrapped into one visit. Please come down and visit us. If any of this interests you, please email sessions at kcou.fm. With your host, Chris Farblin, covering all the major news in the world of NFL and college football on KCOU 88.1 FM from 1 to 3 p.m. Tune in for recaps and analysis from last weekend's games, along with predictions and previews for the action next Saturday and Sunday. Hot takes, bull predictions, and two hours of weekly football coverage on the hard count from 1 to 3 p.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM. Hey Blaze, what do you get when you put two fiercely competitive sports fans who love to debate in the same room? Um, I don't know. You get a new show called Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. Wow, Abigail, that's really cool. What's the show about? We're going to be talking about all things NFL, MLB, college sports, NASCAR, and tennis. Tennis? Why tennis? Well, we have to talk about tennis. It's it's in the name. Mm, I don't know, Abigail. We'll have to talk about that later. But I can't wait to listen to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 Fridays at 1. Wait, Blaze, you can't listen to the show. You're, you're in the show. You're one of the co-hosts, remember? My fault, Abigail. I guess everyone else will have to listen to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. exactly that is exactly what missouri basketball has been they have been cold as ice over the past <laughs> over the past month the entire season Ugh. basically you could say is that they have been cold they have not been good it's been hard to watch but we're going to get into a little bit more of missouri basketball in a few minutes or so we're going to bring up some college football real quick finish up our talk on football and then we'll end it all off with basketball and we get up end it on coverage of Missouri Tigers men's basketball later tonight so first things first the biggest thing in the college football world today was that Q Ugatan had passed away today so prayers out to Georgia and our condolences to everybody at Georgia and their passing of Ugatan we know the feeling is we've lost Harlan here on our campus so yeah, um, it's it sucks, and you know I know ripping off the whole you know Mizzou Georgia little. I mean, it's not really we don't we really got a have good little alliance. We got, honestly, yeah, alliance, we were nice. Honestly. We were respectful of them. They were respectful, respectful to us. us. And uh, I'm you know 
very sorry for for that. It's sad news to hear, but um, it's it, he was. I believe that that uh, that Q was actually, I believe, Ugga ten. Correct. So yeah, um, 10. we'll have the to winningest s- bulldog in Georgia history. Yep. Two national championships. Two that, national championships. That, seven New Year's Six Bowls. Uh, he was like 92 and 18 or something like that for his record. Um, and he was sworn in as the Bulldogs mascot in 2015. So so we're just going to have to see what will happen from there. But let's talk about actual college football now. <laughs> we're going to get to the portal. This has been the biggest thing, especially surrounding Missouri and a bunch of the schools that are in that top 10 top 15 look um they are in the portal uh and the biggest names is ohio state has been pulling a lot of big names over the past few weeks especially they hired bill o'brien to be i think that be their offensive coordinator yes um you know let me let me actually look that one up i'm pretty sure you're right but not only that but i mean there i mean let me tell you one thing though I don't know if Ryan Day was like super embarrassed over the Cotton Bowl loss there, but man, he's really starting to build up this team, and I don't, I think this has more something to do of I would you even say that Ryan Day's even in the hot seat right now? Well, he definitely is in the hot seat, and we, you know, I I come from a family that loves Ohio State, and so we know a lot about Ohio State, and I'll tell you, the, the entire last season they almost basically said he was on the hot seat, and that they might have got him fired if they lost even more and you know they lost to Michigan and losing to Michigan as an Ohio State coach will boot you out of the program very very quickly (laughs) yeah and um uh actually back to what you know you're saying about Ohio State's hiring yes Bill O'Brien was hired as their new OC yeah so let me tell you good good things are starting to happen with Ohio State's team but uh, not only that, in Judkins from from Old Miss, correct? They've, Judkins. They've pulled two Alabama players, and I think that's the, uh, that's where the, all of this is really coming from. As we talk about Ohio State, uh, with Nick Saban retiring, a lot of guys have opted out of um, playing at uh, Alabama, and they want to go find a new place. The, one of the bigger names is Caleb Downs, the safety for. Alabama, the former safety for Alabama, and then the other one is Julian Sand, the freshman quarterback, also now plays for Ohio State. So in that quarterback room, you have Will Howard and you have Julian Sand. So, man, I, Alabama's been losing has been losing recruits and they're dropping like flies. Bama has had ten recruits transfer from Alabama since Nick Saban retired. Two of them went to Texas. Two of them went to Ohio State. One to Florida State. One to Auburn. One to Texas A&M. One to Ole Miss. One to Iowa. And one to Florida. Yeah, and I think it's more of the... It's it's crazy that we're saying this right now, that it's the end of the Nick Saban era. It's it's truly shocking that it he's retiring now. And I mean the the and the coach they got after him, you know, Kellen DeBoer. I mean, he's he's a he's a he's a pretty good coach. I mean, national championship Washington team, um, just it, it's a solid hire. But I I think a lot of these players were just hoping that this is the this is part of the Knicks. They want to be part of the Nick Saban era, and that's what some of these new recruits or new a new freshmen who are now maybe turning into sophomores wanted to be a part of that, and then realizing that ain't gonna happen anymore. And that's the thing that a lot of these guys will choose a school just because of a certain coach that they enjoyed 
one to play for and that type of thing. But, you know, now with Nick Saban gone, a lot of them want to go find their other options. But we're going to transfer now from college football into college basketball. we got SEC Network up here on the screen, and it is absolutely empty inside of South Carolina's arena where Xander and I actually will be this Saturday when we cover the Missouri men's basketball game at South Carolina. So we'll be on call here on KCOU 88.1 FM on the mainstream as we cover their men's basketball game. But before we talk about Missouri men's basketball, we're going to talk about the top 25 in the country. Yeah, um, with the uh, the uh, new college basketball rankings have just come out. Um, and some of it's a little bit sh- – I think every week it's like it's always so shocking to see what some of these new rankings are. Um, and and I, I, I'm looking here right now at the rankings, and I will say the top five so far are – pretty pretty accurate you got UConn at one and UConn has been so dominant right now they've played very close games against the Big East teams but let me tell you that Big East conference is no joke that's very true Big East is one of those underrated conferences especially when it comes to basketball one the only thing I see in the top five just for reference top five UConn one Purdue two North Carolina three Houston four Tennessee is five in my opinion, I think North Carolina is the number one team in the country by far. Um, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, I think they need to be a little higher. They blew out Wake Forest <laughs> last night. R.J. Davis had a thirty-six point game for the Tar Heels, and I'm repping my Tar Heels shirt right now. So I'm telling you, I'm, that's a homer pick for me. But I'm telling you, the Tar Heels are a team to watch, especially when it get to March. Um, they're definitely going to be one team to watch out for. Yeah, and, you know, again, as we kind of go down the list here, um, North Carolina, as of right now, is definitely for sure. I mean, I know we're at the end of January, and March is so far distant in the future, but to be honest... It's not really. I mean, not really. I mean, that thing is coming up pretty fast, and it always sneaks up on you towards the end of the season once you get to March, and you're like, well, shoot, you know? We got we got March Madness in about you know right as the conference game uh, the conference championship games end so uh, or the tournament uh, exactly. games end um, and I'm looking down here and there are some pretty solid teams here in the top ten but you know with you know with us being Mizzou fans it is always nice to see KU down getting booted down there from number five I think I believe they were either number number three actually they were number three and they got knocked down all the way down to number seven yeah, with that, that loss to UCF I, I'm Excuse me, West Virginia. West Virginia, yeah. I'll tell you, the, the KU loss was great for us to watch. They don't, they played a close game against Cincinnati last well, was, night. They, um, they, they, they win at the Allen Fieldhouse. They, they'll, they'll, even if it's a close game, it always yeah, seems like they there. find a you way know to how, run you know away. How it is. I'll so. tell you this, though. If you look at the top 25 here, and I think the biggest, the biggest team that stands out the most to me that I think should be higher a little bit, honestly, uh, is Auburn. And they've had a heck of a season. They're a team to watch. I'm excited for when Auburn comes here. I'm going to be definitely going out to that game because that is a team who can control the basketball, can score at will, and they can do what they want with you. And, you know, that sounds like it would be a murder against, uh, <laughs> against <laughs> Mizzou. But, you know, I mean, Auburn's a heck of a team. They're very, they're very well coached. They're – 16 and 2. I mean, it's it's a heck of a game. Yeah, um Auburn has definitely been 
for sure one of the most consistent teams in the SEC and one that, in my opinion, doesn't get talked about too often. I mean, I think we all know for sure that one of the uh, few uh, few SEC teams that's always talked about every season is you, you got your Kentucky Wildcats and who will be playing South Carolina tonight, which will be an interesting game to watch because um, South Carolina is playing at home, and although they do have a good record, they're a little bit shoddy, I think, when it comes to their playing. I mean, I mean... When they were at uh, Mizzou Arena uh, earlier in uh, earlier in January, I mean, they they literally almost they lost almost lost to Mizzou, and we I think most Mizzou fans thought at one point in that game we were finally about to have our first conference win, but it did not happen. It sure did not. Missouri's been struggling to get an SEC win. They still are winless in that column. They're zero and five in SEC play so far in the season. You know, one thing I do want to touch on, though, in the rankings and is one conference that I think is starting to make a kind of rise in the past few years. And this is someone who's coming from San Diego. And as you know, San Diego State last year just had a from almost like almost in a Cinderella type run season. And they made it all the way to the national championship. Now, unfortunately, they did lose to UConn. But I, I, I got to say the Mountain West Conference when it comes to college basketball is really starting to make a rise here in the rankings. I mean, if you look here, number 18, you got Utah State. They have only lost two games this whole season with a 17-2 record and two more teams from the Mountain West, Colorado State with a 15-3 record and at number 25, you have the University of New Mexico with 16-3. and Yeah, New Mexico has definitely been surprising a few people this year. I've seen them pop up a few times. I, I, can't, I can't say that I've watched a lot of Mountain West basketball, <laughs> so I, I definitely don't have a lot of takes in that field. Uh, I know that's more your style. I'm more of the ACC, SEC type. Oh, no, for sure. I watch the Big 12 and that type of stuff. Uh, I watch the big boys play most of the time, but it's really good to see some of these smaller conferences getting their names up in here. It'll co- it, it really helps out a lot of uh, it helps out the sport in general. You know, get some of these lower schools in there, and you know, shows us a lot of new talent from around the country. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's there's always there's always talent from these teams that you know you never really hear of. Of like, let's just say you know, I'll, I'm gonna throw this out randomly, and I know most Mizzou fans would kind of like to forget this game ever happened last year but like let's say Princeton I mean uh, I I know it's so rough bringing that up but they they you know they were a team that I had absolutely no I like no idea what who they are what their roster was and all of a sudden here they are second round going to going to uh, the sweet 16 and you know the talent on that team actually looked pretty good so um it, it it just honestly depends on uh the team and and just the recruits or the recruits or players that they get sometimes they'll these teams will get transfers and they'll play their play their butts off exactly and you know speaking of transfers mizzou in particular has a really good uh incoming class this upcoming year so not this year but next season mizzou should have a really good basketball team they got quite a few all-americans on their team coming to como for basketball season so we should be should be good on that but what I want to talk about now is I really do want us to start shifting over towards Missouri men's basketball in general as we got about 20 more minutes until we wrap up here you know, I read a quote this morning uh, from Power Mizzou and I want you to tell me what you think about this yeah um uh, quote, go ahead yeah my quote here says uh 
Missouri basketball is proving something that is continuously said in sports. Good teams win close games. Bad teams lose them and talk about how close they were to winning them. Uh, I found that extremely interesting. Yeah, and it's been it's been shown throughout most of the season, and it's a good it, it's a good quote I like from that. Um, I mean, listen to this, okay? They lost by this is okay against Memphis. They lost by fifteen, but they were tied at the under sixteen timeout and had six possessions to get within four or five points between the twelve and nine minute marks. Correct. Against Jackson State, they led by six with a minute 17 and lost by one. You know, I think that that was the game where we realized the troubles were really starting to come to Mizzou. And an 0-5 team like that is, in my opinion, just absolutely completely unacceptable. That was such an unacceptable loss. And yeah, exactly. And the Kansas game, you were there. I yeah. Called, I called it for KCOU, so I was on call for it. You were at the game. They lost by nine. They missed a shot to make it a five-point game with 6.48 to play. It, players couldn't hit the shots to win the game. It's always when it comes down to the one possession when it comes to Mizzou. And once it comes down to, or one or, you know, quickly, maybe two possession games. And the, this is the last the last thing I, I just don't understand what's going on for Mizzou is they can never seem to ever go on a run. They it, cannot. It, it, there's, they it's not existent. Up. They'll give up, yeah, exactly. They'll give up a few, you know, uh, 10, 10, 11 nothing runs or 12 nothing runs. And to I'll speak on that team. real quick. And I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm going to keep telling you about these things no, go ahead. here. So I just talked about the Kansas game, how they lost by nine. Correct. We're going to move on to the South Carolina game. The South Carolina game, when South Carolina came here, Missouri never trailed in the second half, yet still lost in overtime. When Georgia came here, Missouri led by two with 4.45 left, and then they gave up a 12-3 to run to finish the game, and they ended up losing. The Florida game from this past weekend that you and I were at, they trailed by three with 13.58 left. We thought they still had a shot. They gave up a 15-5 and run over the next seven minutes and 35 seconds. <sighs> As the quote says, Good teams win close games, bad teams lose them, and talk about how close they were to winning them. Yeah, um, just and you know, there's several other factors that are going into this season alone. Uh, you know, last year, everyone and a lot of people are saying the same thing about this year. It's you don't have anyone like a Kobe Brown or a Demoy Hodge, where they were two people that were easily able to completely rally up this team last year and pretty much shocked the SEC in general. I mean, I think people had no idea how good that team was going to be and they didn't. And 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 yeah, and this year, none of it. There's no one there's no one to go to. I mean, every night it's either going to be a Sean East game or a Tamar Bates game and the rest is just everyone missing shots. Yeah, Tamar Bates, the way I described it earlier today, and I wanted to know what you thought of this quote that I made up earlier today. I said, Tamar Bates is playing like he is a Ferrari inside of a trailer park. Like, that is the <laughs> realest representation I can get of how well Tamar Bates is playing right now. But I want to talk about a little bit more about Missouri basketball and their troubles. Uh, I think the biggest thing so far this season that they've struggled with, I mean, they've had under performing players. Nick Honor has not played well. We expected him to play uh, well and had to take another step forward. He had a 
great season last year, but we were hoping he could advance that even more. But so far, he was not able to do that. Um, Noah Carter, he's had some good games here and there, but it's very inconsistent, and that struggles as well. Uh, another issue that I'm that I am having the most trouble with is the rebounding issue. Oh, you can't get a rebound, and that is killing you every game. The amount of second chance point opportunities that these other teams are getting is knocking you out of the game without without anything to fight with. I mean, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, and it was pretty obvious. I think what I started to realize when the rebounding was for sure starting to become an issue was strangely the game where we were playing Kentucky. We Kentucky, honestly, in my opinion, was honestly an impressive game for Missouri coming into Kentucky like that. And I mean, Kentucky wasn't even really shooting well from three point. And that was, that was the, that was why we kept it so close towards the end of the game is they their three pointing their three pointer shooting was an issue for Kentucky during that game and I think that they were the Mizzou uh, the Tigers were able to use that advantage get and were they shot over fifty percent in that game which is something they have struggled to do practically all season but to do it in that game but you know what the problem was during that game offensive rebounds and second chance points were the problem I believe in that game Kentucky at one point had 16 second chance points while Mizzou had two second chance points yeah it's it's terrible and you know the Tigers have sh- shot 30 percent from three on the year they've shot 45 under 50 percent they've shot 45 percent on all their shots on the year and they right now are on a five game losing streak it does not look to be lighting up anytime soon you know you and I are hoping that they will win this weekend in South Carolina because that is the game where we have the most hope especially after last time playing them they just got to be able to play defense and finish the other thing is turnovers they struggle a lot in turning the ball over a lot of sloppy passes and sloppy dribbling oh yeah uh really gets a lot of turnovers going, and that'll crush your team. So, Xander, I want to talk real quick as we get ready to wrap up here. I want to talk about the game tonight that you're actually going to be on the call for. You'll be on the call with Matthew for the Texas A&M game. Correct. And I want to get your thoughts. Uh, I'll tell you, Texas A&M, they're 11-7, and 2-3 and three in SEC play. They're 6-2 and two at home. They've only lost twice this year at home. They shoot worse than Missouri on their shots. They're 39.5%. Uh, they shoot also worse from three. <laughs> they are 27% from three. But Missouri ranks higher in turnovers. So they Missouri turns the ball over more than Texas A&M does. So I want to know from you, do you see Missouri winning to, to Texas A&M tonight? And if you do... Who has to have the great game? Well, listen here. I mean, again, it's an 0-5 losing streak. And I think Kevin, I mean, not Kevin, Dennis Gates is getting to the point where it's just like, it's one game at a time. He's taking this thing one game at a time. And, you know, I was telling Trey, I think after the Florida game, that something has to like, we like something has to like work right at one, like one game where I, I, they have to have that game where it's just like everything's going for them. You're hitting your threes. You're getting those second chance points. You're getting those rebounds. And I, you know, 
it's going to be a tough environment, especially against Texas A&M. And not only that, but Texas A&M, I mean, you look at their record, even though they're 2-3 and three in the SEC, we're talking about the SEC here. I mean, oh, yeah. this is this is no easy conference to play in. And they they even beat a Kentucky in overtime, a very good, well-rounded Kentucky at home yeah, in the, overtime. The thing with... The thing with Missouri is exactly as you're saying, something's got to change. And the thing is, something has to click. They need to be hitting at the right moment. And so Missouri has yet to have a part of this season where they get hot. The thing is, I think they're going to get hot at the end of the season. But the thing is, they've lost so much that it's going to be too little too late. And they're going to miss the tournament because they got hot at the wrong time. I mean... As of right now, I don't think we should even be looking towards the tournament. Oh, we're definitely. I, not. I, I don't know. We're not. We're definitely not looking towards the tournament, and not even. We're not even thinking about NIT or <laughs> CIT kind of kind of playing. But yeah. I mean, a lot of us are looking towards next year. Next year, yeah. Uh, but I will say one thing. I think fans are, uh, you know, Missouri fans. They're they're diehard. They're oh yeah. Crazy about their team. One thing I do not agree with with Missouri fans is them going to the extreme and saying that Dennis Gates is on the hot seat. Oh, absolutely not. And I said this is his second year. He's a re- it's a rebuilding year. He's a beast in the transfer portal. The the way he can sign guys and get guys to transfer from their schools, it's amazing and it's something you really need. He yeah, every person's going to have a down year every once in a while, okay? So, I mean, you don't need to go to the extreme just yet. Sure, sure, you know, Missouri's had a tough year, but they don't have a star player. They they need a star player. They need somebody, you know, Sean East and Tamar Bates are finally coming through for the team. So that's big. It's a big step. What you need to happen next, though, is you really need somebody in the center position to play well. You need Connor Vanover to start contributing better Majak needs to contribute I mean there's a lot of guys who are playing somewhat decently well but they're not playing to their full potential and that's what's killing Missouri every time they step on the floor yeah and you know we've been talking about multiple different reasons and one thing you actually didn't mention yet which I was going to bring up is I think once we got to that Kansas game and I think when we found out we had that injury to, I think it was uh, Caleb Grill, who actually people were almost praising about once we got him. I mean, I thought this guy was for sure going to be an absolute like stud uh, out he, there. He and definitely underperformed. And, and he big time under, underperformed. And then that injury happened during the Wichita State game. And I think ever since that point, things have just not been going well. And that's probably one of the reasons why they haven't even won a game in January. I mean, that's been a... <laughs> If anything represents the Missouri Tigers basketball season, I'll say is that Caleb Grill injury. You know, it's going, it's underperforming, but it's fine. And then the injury happens, and they just wiped off the face of the earth. Missouri was a talk of college basketball last season. We had great crowds. You know, there was amazing games. They were competitive. And now it's like they've been wiped off the face of the earth because no one is talking about them at all. You know, honestly, and I think that's honestly a good thing. I'm glad they're not talking about us. I'd rather them not talk about Missouri, and I would rather them avoid talking about the Tigers and say, like, come next year. It's like, all right. Like, whoa, look at this team. They came out of nowhere when we all know 
sitting here today that we're going to have a good team. That's just how I feel about the situation. Xander, what do you think? Yeah, and and I think going back to uh, the game today, um, I kind of have a few like keys to the games, which I will definitely bring up. Definitely our broadcast starting at eight. Uh, hey, come on, man! Give us I, but keys. I will, I will give it, I will give it to you. I think that what's important for this team today, especially against a pretty pretty good solid team from um, Texas A and M, I think that you need to. I think everyone needs to have a chance today. Um, you can't just let one player basically carry you almost the entire game um I, I I mentioned uh we mentioned about rebounds so one of the keys I have for tonight is rebounds 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 we are practically out rebounded almost every single game and I think once you finally win that rebound game and getting those second chance points you're actually looking more towards a win finally uh or getting close to a uh, win in that uh that win column there um and and again, I guess our defense is okay. They're a little shoddy. Um, I I think I I'm not I'm not opposed to the whole three two zone to start out the game. Uh, you want to try to get your team kind of the other team off balanced uh, to start off the game. But once they really start figuring it out, as you know, they they finally start getting into that man to man defense. So all I say is uh, put the pressure on them. I mean, put the pressure on them. Let them know that you're not afraid that you know you're not afraid to shoot the ball and that you're not afraid to like defend them. And I think um, with those kind of keys. You will be. You might be looking towards success tonight, and that's what they're hoping uh, against Texas A and M. Yeah, exactly, and that's you're exactly right. They gotta, but the, I mean, the biggest thing comes down to you got to rebound. You got to be able to close games, and so that's what Missouri really has to do tonight if they want to beat Texas A and M. The thing about the Aggies is they are a streaky team. Uh, so we mentioned that they beat uh, number six Kentucky in overtime. But they immediately followed that game with a loss to Arkansas, who has not won another conference game since then. Uh, they also went blow for blow with Houston, but then they got beat up by LSU at home. So, I mean, this is all over the place, and that win against LSU is the LSU Tigers' only road win of the season. <laughs> so, I mean, this team is very streaky, and so... They don't, I mean, they score about the exact same that Missouri does. They don't give up as many points as Missouri does. And so, you know, you got to figure out, okay, if Missouri can crack their defense and score and they can rebound, they're going to be fine, And you would have to think. The other thing I would make sure you watch out for tonight is Wade Taylor. That is Texas A&M's big player. That's oh, yeah. their big star. He's averaging 19.5 points per game. Uh, that's more than six. That's more than six more than any other player on the team. So, I mean, listen, it's gonna be. I, I, I think we're definitely in for an interesting game tonight. And who knows, if any of these keys go well for um, the uh, Missouri Tigers, I mean, we could be finally looking towards hopefully what you know fans are hoping for their first ever conference win this season. Let me let me give you my my favorite key to the game that I have for Missouri. Go ahead, put the ball in the basket. Oh. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> I, I put the ball in the basket. You it, can win it's, a game. It, it's almost like it's one of those things where it's like, guys, come on, basics. It's not that hard. You right. just got to get something going. And one thing I saw in the Florida game is a lot of them would drive into the basket and then they would just pass the ball out. Get that contact. Exactly. Put up the ball. Get the contact. You know, maybe you don't make it, but you'll for sure get the foul call from the ref. Exactly. Texas A&M is coming off a 
road win at LSU. 73-69 was the final score. And so as we mentioned, they are a streaky team. So this would this would be the time to catch Texas A&M on a bad night if you want to get them. Uh, ESPN has Missouri at a 10 percent chance to win this game only 10 <laughs> so things are not as bright but uh you know we sure have optimism but uh Xander let me get your uh final thoughts let me get your uh, prediction for the game tonight um oh let's see here I mean I always want to root for Mizzou but you know I want to I do want to stay optimistic but just how things are going right now is not making me feel optimistic at all uh, about how these games are going. I mean, listen, in these ne- in the next week, you know, I hope in our call against South Carolina that they maybe pull off a win and, you know, definitely get some of the Mizzou fans a little excited there. Uh, but I think tonight I'm just going to go, unfortunately, I'm just going to say I'll, I'll keep it close for, for a Mizzou, uh, from the Mizzou standpoint, but I think it's going to be a, a seven-point win for the Aggies. I don't know exactly what the score, but I'm just going to say, uh, I'm just going to say 77 to 70 would be right. my final score. Yeah, I, I definitely won't be able to tell you score, but I can give you my opinion on the whole thing. Aggies are 11.5-point favorites over the Tigers tonight, and their game will be on SEC Network. Um, I honestly do think the Aggies will win. I think that we will struggle with rebounding and defense like they have the entire season. Um, and I see the Aggies, let's say they win – uh, I'll take your number 77, and then uh, Mizzou will have about 60-something points, 62. 77-62, that works for me. But ladies and gentlemen, that is going to wrap us up here on Coast to Coast for the very first time. Uh, if you, Make sure you tune in to us next Tuesday evening where we discuss the NFL championship games. We talk about the upcoming Super Bowl. Uh, we discuss more about Missouri basketball. Xander and I are actually heading to South Carolina this weekend, so we will talk about our trip and how all that went, what we enjoyed, what we disliked. Uh, we're going to get Xander to try some southern establishment restaurants, and oh, we'll see man. what he thinks I'm, about I'm that look, I'm southern looking forward food. to that, Trey. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll see that. Also, reminder, Xander is on the call tonight for the Texas A&M men's basketball game against the Missouri Tigers. So make sure you tune in to KCOU 88.1 FM. It's on the C stream. So where you're listening to us right now will be where you watch the Texas A&M game. But once again, my name is Trey Bettler. And my name is Xander Kobold. Thank you for listening in to to Coast to Coast. And uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. Next Tuesday it is. See you guys. There's only one place for you to get your daily dose of Missouri Tigers news, Mizzou Sports Daily. Join us as we break down the latest in the world of Mizzou athletics from Stephanie Golan's team.